Hello, my friend, and welcome to the Mark Stuchowski Podcast, the show that's all about helping you perform at an optimum level. I am Mr. Productivity, and it is my obsession in life to teach you how to be a more productive version of you. And one of the ways I do that is by giving you my top five productivity tips. You can get them for absolutely free by going to my website, mrproductivity.com, M-I-S-T-E-R, mrproductivity.com for my top five productivity tips. On the show today is a guest I had on back on episode 473 on November 21st, 2019, Emily Goudreau. Now, back then we talked about sexual abuse in our world. We're not going to talk about that in this episode. Instead, we're going to talk about travel. Right after September 11, 2001, Emily traveled to 36 countries documenting the world's responses to the event. Now, full disclosure, I got really geeked out on this episode because I love world travel. I'm already going to have her back in the fall because we only scratched the surface. This is a completely incredible episode. You're going to enjoy it. So let's get right to it. Emily, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Mark. I'm uh, super stoked to be here. Uh, Emily was a guest on my show, episode 473, back on November 21st. We talked about sexual abuse. We are not going to talk about sexual abuse on this show, but it was a fascinating episode. She's really passionate about it. And if you'd like to know more about it, I'll have the link in the show notes. Absolutely incredible episode. And the reason why we're having her back is she said something to me very interesting is she talked about having, after September 11th happened, visiting or traveling to 35 countries in about a year, year and a half. And I said, well, we've got to have an episode on that. That's incredible because <laughs> I've been to one other country outside America and that was France. So I can't imagine doing 35 countries in a short period of time. So those, let's give the people the benefit of the doubt, Emily, those who, who have not been, had the opportunity to listen to your last episode. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, so um, I guess my background, and you're going to hear a little bit more about this. Uh, I was a freelance photographer for years, and I ended up taking a job with Playboy or Playboy.com, which is a, a different entity run by Hugh Hefner's son. But um, yeah, I had a, an awakening moment doing that, and I decided to kind of commit my energy towards preventing sexual abuse with kids. And I speak out a lot about pornography because. I, I think I can. I think I've got a little bit of authority. <laughs> if if you're a Playboy photographer, it gives you a little bit of a permission to speak out about it. Um, yeah. So that's what I do right now is I educate parents on how to keep their kids safe from sexual abuse and um, how to have those weird conversations about pornography. And again, if you would really like to hear her talk about the epidemic of sexual abuse, please go back to the link that will be in the show notes, episode 473. We talk about the whole episode on that, not for the little ears, but there's no vulgar language in it, but obviously it's a very sensitive topic. So um, go check that episode out. That's why the, the reason why she's back here today, as I said, is because I thought she did a great job then. And so let's talk about 35 countries. In about a year, a year and a half. So I want to I want to give the people the the immensity, if you will, uh, of the countries you've been to. So okay. go ahead and list us uh, the countries you've been to because I am utterly fascinated to hear this list. I've not heard it yet. 
Okay, yeah. So I had to I had to write them down this morning because I knew you were going to ask. And these you didn't are have not- memorized. <laughs> well, I mean, it was it was like two thousand one. I mean, this okay. was twenty years. You know, this was twenty years ago. It's quite a while. Okay, so the UK, Ireland, Portugal, Spain, France, Italy, Germany, Greece, Sweden, Hungary, Switzerland, Austria, the Czech Republic, Netherlands, Tanzania, Kenya, Kenya Uganda, Zanzibar, the Congo. Indonesia, Vietnam, Thailand, Malaysia, Cambodia, Laos, Myanmar, Nepal, Japan, uh, Australia. I'm going to count the U.S. because I had to. I wasn't living in the U.S. at the time. Is that cheating? That might no, be cheating. No, that's not cheating. Okay. <laughs> Canada, New Zealand, Fiji, Mexico, and Costa Rica. Wow. That is quite <laughs> the list. Now, if I know my listener, they're going, okay, Emily, why? What possessed you to go to these 35 countries? Because the whole thing started after September 11th, you mentioned, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, it, w- it was kind of a combination a little bit before and a little bit after 9-11. Before, um, I hitchhiked around uh, Europe, which is mostly where the European, that's where like the big numbers are coming in. Cause you can, you can hit a lot of countries. Like if yes. somebody was like, I want to have a number like that, which is ridiculous, whatever <laughs> you should not do that. But, um, that's where I got a lot of countries was from hitchhiking and spending a lot of time there. And then, um, after nine eleven, my husband or my ex-husband, <laughs> as we were I still talking like about that before, word, husband. <laughs> It's like so non-aggressive. He's a lovely human being. But um, yeah, so we were planning on going on a world, you know, around the world trip. And we had bought tickets, which they were uh, $1,500 at the time, which in the past 20 years, it's gone from being really cheap in my mind to really expensive. You know, it's like right now, I bet you could do it for cheaper. But it was one ticket. As long as you went in the same direction, you could hop flights. It was a total pain in the butt. Ah, gotcha. Um, but what we ended up doing is just hopping to the continents and then going overland for most of it. But, um, I have a a degree in fine art and design and photography was my, you know, main medium and my dream, like most kids or all photographers is to be national geographic photographer, you know? So, um, and also like war photography and journalism as crazy as that sounds, that was really attractive to me. So when nine 11 happened, we were scheduled to go into Morocco and go into North Africa to start our trip. And we ended up landing in Spain and Portugal and kind of waiting to see if the world was going to blow up. And then we went into Muslim East Africa, which is still haunts me because I have all these one-way tickets in Muslim countries. Ah. And you had better believe I still get stopped and searched every time I go through the airport. Oh, random selection. Oh, Now, Israel wasn't on your list, correct? <laughs> no, okay. I, that's one of those places I really want to go. I heard from, I don't know, I can't remember the source, to be honest with you, but they said if you ever visit Israel, if you go there for a pilgrimage, because I'm a Christian and you know a lot of Christians like to go to Israel, they say do not let them stamp your passport if you have a plan to go to like a Muslim country because they won't let you in. Do you know if that's oh. true or not? I don't know if that's true. I don't know if they won't let you in, but they'll probably like, I mean, I... I've never been like had like a cavity search, but I get stripped. I get strip searched most times when I go through international borders into really? countries. Yeah. Why is that? Because you have traveled so many different countries. 
It's the one. It's the one-way tickets. Oh, that that's around, that, in the, that in the Muslim. Yeah, because it's clear you, that's not normal behavior. Like thirty-five different countries, like during nine eleven, not normal behavior. <laughs> yeah, Big stamp on now, my now forehead. It, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so now, now, now that brings another question in my mind. The first time you were pulled out of the security line. What was going through your mind? Were you, did you expect it or did you go, what's going on right now? You know, I, um, well, okay, let's, let's backtrack. I feel like I'm like going to reveal all my deepest, darkest secrets here. But so (laughs) right after high school, I bought a one-way ticket to, um, to the UK and um, I worked illegally and I would fly to France and fly back and they'd stamp my passport. And one time I was flying back, uh, my mom had come to visit and she like, this is, you know, I love my mom, but you know, moms do funny stuff. Sometimes she asked in front of the immigration officer, like what would happen if you found out she was working? That was my, that was my first introduction to like um, immigration, like insanity. I got my bag searched. I had started a cleaning company in the UK, just putting flyers through people's doors. Um, Cause I was living there, you know, that's where my, my boyfriend was and whatever. And so I got, um, I didn't get a black stamp, but the lady was like, are you working here? And I was like, yes. And she said, you just saved your backside. You've got three days to get out of the country, which normally what they do is they send you back to the country you came from. So thank goodness I told her the truth and I didn't get sent back to Paris because they just plop you in a jail and, and you're the responsibility of Paris because they shouldn't have let you through. Oh, wow. Yeah. Thanks, mom. <laughs> Did she get a Mother's Day gift that, that year? <laughs> I, I mean, I think I was just in so much shock over the whole thing. Yeah. And then I ended up leaving the country and going back to the United States, getting a fiance visa and then going back again. So that was a, that was a whole, that was my first introduction to the, the search <laughs> now now when you say strip search you don't mean like strip search right like they do in some of these uh third world countries right you're ta- you- yeah i mean you take your clothes off really yeah like a, yeah like what are they looking they- for again because you said you have a one-way ticket so they you have a bomb attached to you or something or what's going i don't on? know i don't i have no idea i mean i wouldn't know I the didn't... first time they had they told me to take my clothes off i'd be like excuse me i'm like I, yeah. I I would be scared because I don't travel as much as you do. I mean, you probably traveled more in a week than I traveled my lifetime. And that would terrify me if someone says, come over here and take your clothes off. I'm like, we're at an airport. What do you mean take my clothes? I would be freaked out. Weren't yeah. you freaked out the first time that happened? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, it was during 9-11. There was so much stuff going on. I mean, I, here's what this is what I do is I just smile and laugh. And well, that um, can't be a good thing for you to laugh at the TV. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm like, you're not going to rock me. Like, wow. I'm, you know, I don't get angry because that's what they're looking for. They're trying, you know, a lot of times if you feel like you're being uh, cornered into something where you're being like essentially bullied or what, gosh, harassed or whatever, um, you're just like, whatever. Cool. I'll take my clothes off. We good? Like, let's go. Wow. I got to go. Like, I got stuff to do. You're a stronger human being than I am. I would be on the floor in the fetal position crying for my mommy. So <laughs> I'm just admitting that my show, I would. I'm like, uh, no, I'm not home. I don't take my clothes off. I would be, and I would be sweating profusely, but apparently you're a stronger person than me. So good on you. Well, here's, here's the plus, And this is one of the few situations is 90% of the time it was women only that were doing it because of what was, you know, 
because of the fact that I'm female. So a lot of the people that are doing the searching and stuff like that are women as well. Um, and I'm a white woman. Talk about like, I, I mean, I, the chances of something really horrific happening to me, um, like it might to uh, a man is, is different. I like, we can, we can go into more of like the susceptibilities, but as far as like, um, that's that type of situation, I've got a little bit more leverage than men. But hearing your story, it just, <laughs> I mean, it started out with your mom making a comment and then you started getting the strip searching and it didn't happen once. And I'm thinking it happened more than once. That's what's going through my mind right now. It happened more than once. And I think that would have been enough probably to stop me from traveling for a while. But apparently you're strong that you're like, Hey, it is what it is. Let's do it. I got, I got some place to be. And I, I, I commend you for that because a lot of people aren't that strong. Yeah. Talking about efficiency. So yeah, I, I show up, you know, you show up for an hour, hour before two hours, like, even my husband now is like, Emily, you don't need to be there three hours before. <laughs> I'm like, you, well, I've had some close calls. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Now, other than the, the Muslim countries in Africa you went to after September 11th, what are some of the other countries that you went to that you really, you really weren't as comfortable as you were maybe as a, in a France or a Spain or United Kingdom or America? <sighs> Mm, I forgot one country, Bangladesh. So that is one country. I guess we could put 36 on there. Bangladesh, you can see I'm like trying to block it out of my mind. Uh, I'm going to say that's like a no-go. Like I do I do not recommend Bangladesh for um, any kind of a holiday, especially if you're a woman. It is scary. It is rough. It's like one of the few places, and I've obviously been around. So we land in Bangladesh. They take our passports away from us, which is like, talk about scared, like strip searching is nothing compared to having your passport taken away. And they give you these little plastic discs with numbers on it. This is after, this is after 9-11. So, I mean, your passport's like gold. (laughs) I mean, that's your ticket out of anywhere. Right. And um, yeah, so I... You know, we got to the hotel and I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to go walk around. I have my traditional, I always cover up. I try and do what the locals do as much as possible. I walked around the block and I kid you not, I saw no women. I was the only woman walking around at all. Not even like doing business, like there's stands or whatever. The women were not around. I had blue eyes. I mean, they were just staring holes right through me. I went back up into my hotel and I was like, cool, we're going to fly out in three days and I'm not leaving my room. <laughs> wow. Now, was what's your husband say? Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> I he, mean, he, he I, go out and see uh, walk around. I, you know, I think I, he did, but it was, it was, it was pretty sketch. Like the whole situation was really, really scary. Um, wow. Just if the feeling of what was going on there didn't, didn't feel, that was one of the scariest places for sure. And then, I mean, I went another place, which is incredible, highly recommended, but at the time was really scary was Zanzibar, which is an Island off of Tanzania, which is beautiful. It's incredible. And um, there was a lot of like Muslim uh, extremists that were going to the islands to, or specifically Zanzibar to get um, members for their group and create a movement. So Zanzibar is like Venice 
it's got these tiny, I mean, it's not floating, but it's got these tiny little streets that, you know, like the buildings are not even four feet apart from each other. And when you check into hotels, you give them your passport number and your nationality. And it was, I called it like one of the, our white knuckle nights because one of the Muslim extremists had come to the wedding hall that was right next to six feet away from our bedroom. Uh-huh. And they were like screaming and, you know, getting everybody riled up. And here I am like white girl from America. I've got a Bible on me, you know, right down in the, in the guest book, it says that I'm American. They're talking about in Kenya, they were talking about people being drugged behind trucks and stuff like that, um, which I still don't know if that is entirely true. But in my mind, that mob was going to come and get us wow. without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. So we, I told everybody that we were from New Zealand or Australia or anything like that. I never said I was from America until that one moment where you have to pull your passport out at the hotel, you know, it was like my cover was blown, but wow. that's it. I mean, that was one of those incredible, incredibly beautiful places, but we got like knives. They throw knives out on the street for us to walk over. Um, I mean, what? I don't understand that they threw knives on the street for you to walk over. Yeah. So it was, it was like a threat. Oh, like you were, wow. Like okay. You're not, you're not welcome here. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, it was pretty intense. So I got to imagine that when you went to Europe, that was pretty tame compared to these other countries, right? The France, the Spain, the England and stuff like that. That was pretty tame. I mean, the only country I went to, my, I actually went a trip to Normandy, France back in 2009. Ooh, cool. My, my wife and I went, to 2000, went in 2010 and we got to stay at the Chateau de, de, de Belois in Normandy, France. It's actually owned by the Forbes company. And we actually stayed at their chateau. And because we spent five days in Normandy, we were flying out of Charles de Gaulle at the on the end of our trip. We only got to go for a week, which is not enough time to even see no. like a small town in France. But hey, we won it. They paid for everything. Well, we got a we got a um, a reservation at the Marriott, the Charles de Gaulle Marriott. I told my wife, you know, we have to go see Paris for like six hours. So we took the train. We did you know walk around the Arc de Triomphe. We did walk up the first level, the Eiffel Tower. But I will tell you, after spending five days in Normandy, Paris wasn't that impressive to me because. You really get the French culture when you, I'm probably sure you can share with us, you know, when you go to any country, when you go to the small towns, mm-hmm. you get more of the culture. Paris is like New York City or Houston. I mean, when you go yeah, out to the, totally. the countries uh, in the small towns, it's different. I remember the thing that scared me the most because we're talking 2010. There was no Google Maps. You know, we, we printed all our maps before we got there. And when you get off the expressway there, unlike here in America, they have a roundabout. And there's no stores or Walgreens or CVS or Rite Aid. It's just like seven branches. And like, I, I, I there's no gas station. <laughs> there's nothing. You get out because usually when you go off an interstate, there's at least a couple stores there. In right. rural France, there's nothing. You better know where yeah. you're going. And we got lost so many times. And I would yell at my wife like she's ever been to France, too. So note the husbands out there. Don't yell at your wife if you've been to a country for the first time. And she's been to that country for the first time. And you don't have a cell phone because that was kind of scary. But, that's, you know, <laughs> but then again, like you get tossed out the door. Yeah, exactly. Well, I was driving. So that wasn't going to happen until we got to the hotel. But um, my point is. You go to a country like France or Spain or United Kingdom, that's got to be a lot, a lot different, as you illustrated, than going to Bangladesh. Yes and no, because some of the most dangerous things I've encountered is because I thought I was safe. There's, 
when I'm, when I am traveling, people think I am crazy diligent. If I get even the like slightest feeling that something's not right, I will not get on a flight. I will not go somewhere. 99.9% of the time I am spot on. Something ends up happening. When I feel like I'm safe, the moment you go, Oh yeah, we're in Europe. You're going to get robbed. You're going to get mugged. You're going to get knifed. Your stuff is going to get stolen. Like, out of your room. It happens every time. Cause you're like, ah, I can relax. I'm on vacation or whatever, you know, that's been my experience. But, um, yeah, we were talking earlier about, um, like the first aid kit. I have like, I have this whole list of stuff that I, <laughs> I'm going to talk to you about like first aid kits. This is not, this um, is not what you pack with a Disney world. This is when you travel around the world. So tell us what's in your kit. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, if anybody's thinking about kind of doing these like multiple continent trips like this. So in my first aid kit, and these are not the, I'm saying what you wouldn't normally carry. You like your band-aids, your neosporin, like whatever. But the number one thing is salt and sugar. Um, and salt is because you can create a saline solution. You're washing stuff out of your eyes. You're washing stuff out of your nose if you get exposed to chemicals. Oh, okay. Um, and it's also like really good for scrubbing your body, cleaning, and then dehydration. If you if you have like if you can use like a, a pink mineral like the Himalayan salt, um, you can make your like hydration packets or whatever to add to your water with the sugar and the salt is like a lifesaver because with the, we're talking about efficiency is when you've got a list of places to go, the number one thing that's going to take you out is diarrhea and you know being sick. Um, so you need to, and like, oh, I just need some salt. I just need some, a little bit of salt. Like I need my Gatorade or whatever the heck you need. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck. You know what I mean? Like if you're, I mean, I, I took a motorcycle trip in Cambodia and like we couldn't get ice. My husband came down with a fever, was hallucinating. Um, he had like bleeding and the diarrhea, like every, like wow. ex- extreme, like this is going down. Um, and it's not like you can go to local Walgreens or a local drugstore and there's, we no. take that for granted over here. Yeah. Like there was nothing. Wow. It wasn't like it, they didn't even like have the batteries to run the lights at night. It was insane. Wow. So, um, and the other thing is black charcoal tablets. So this is anytime you have any kind of an illness, black charcoal will, it kind of encapsulates toxins in your gut or whatever. Wow. Um, game changer if you if you get sick um and now the anti-parasitics these are anti-parasitic because you're going to get gut buddies for sure you will get sick (laughs) it's it's like this kind of trip you're gonna i have like i call them like my gut buddy experiences um you need something that's antimicrobial antifungal and anti-parasitic so berberine is one uh, I think it's like, I think it's called golden root. So you just take that, you can take that on a daily basis and then double it up if you get sick. Um, and Yunnan Baiao, Yunnan Baiao is a Vietnamese topical, anti, it's like a coagulant. Um, and they say that this is like the reason like the Viet Cong did so well in Vietnam is they had this. It's like, a, it's a powder. It's Chinese medicine. You can take it internally. I've had to take it internally for internal bleeding and you can t- use it for external. Um, wow. I mean, it's like emergency medicine. And then uh, your chlorine tablets. 
a lot of people, I, I tried the like bring a water filter. I don't know. Nowadays, they might have water filters that are better. But if you want to spend your whole time filtering your water <laughs> or like you can buy water bottles that are hopefully sealed and then do your chlorine tabs. And then um, so the other tip about the health thing that I, I'm so excited to like talk about this because I have so much experience and information. And when people are traveling, I'm like, ah, if you get sick with any GI issues, you stay in that country until you get tested and you get the medication. Because if you leave, so say you're in Cambodia or wherever, if you leave the country and come back to the United States where you're going to get quote unquote like better care, most of the people, especially in Vietnam and Cambodia, um, that are doctors were trained in France. So it's not like you're getting subpar treatment. Um, they know everything, but they understand the parasitic infections that happen in that country. You come back mm. to the United States, they're going to test you for three different parasites. And if you don't have those three, then you don't have a parasite. Oh, wow. So even if you have to delay a flight, you wait to get tested and then you get your medication suggestion from them as to exactly what it is. And then you go home. Wow. Now, that that first aid kit you talked about, can you, I'm assuming you can, but how do you bring it onto the plane? I thought they were uh, monitoring what you, or is this not in the carry-on? This is uh, the check baggage. So um, are you talking about my syringe kit? Yeah. I mean, can you bring that on the carry-on or do you have to check the, check that luggage? I've, you know, it's, I, it's a good question. Cause I don't, I don't remember. I never had any problems with it. But nowadays, I'm, I'm sure that there would be something. But it's it's like a medical kit. I mean, I mean, I don't know. It seems like that they would they would stop you. You'd have to be in the check on. Yeah, I, I would think so too. Of course, now we're in unprecedented times. I have not flown since a COVID nineteen hit, and I'm one of these people. I do not wear masks. Um, you know, I live in Texas, and they have recommended, <laughs> but they don't man they don't make it mandatory. So, uh, I think what we're going to be seeing in the very near future is mask fatigue. I've already seen it. Our church reopened six weeks ago, and the first uh, Saturday, my wife and I went. Us and another couple weren't wearing masks, and now six weeks later, probably about twenty five percent people aren't wearing masks, and because it's not the surgical mask, and they're saying you know that really the social distancing doesn't matter. Is, the social distancing is what is going to is going to keep the disease right. from spreading, not not mask, and and so we go shopping, and you know I, I don't worry about it because I also believe, although there's no guarantee, I believe if you stressed, I'm going to get COVID and die, I'm going to get COVID and die, you're probably going to get yes. COVID because now you're, you know, <laughs> I want to hit by a Mack truck, you're probably going to hit by a Mack truck, so I'm just, exactly. I think mindset has a lot to do with it, and I just go through my life, and I'm just like. And it's still like any other disease, okay? If you smoke 25 packs of cigarettes a day, if you're mortally obese, if all you eat is processed foods, yeah, you're just like any other illness, you're more susceptible to getting sick. Now, yeah. there are healthy people get COVID-19. There are healthy people to get the flu. But the majority of people are the people with health challenges, underlying health conditions. That's been every virus since the beginning of time. And so the moral of the story is take care of yourself. I always drink water. I always, you know, I went vegetarian about four months ago. You know, I'm exercising every day. If you take care of yourself, if you do get a disease, you have a better chance of overcoming it than if you're like on one of these trips that you went on and you're, you know, have always having a 
cigarette in your mouth and always drinking booze and eating all the, the food and, you know, you're probably going to get sick and you're probably going to get sicker and it's going to take you longer to recover than if you took care of yourself. Yeah. One thing that I've learned is your mental health has to be protected at a high, high level. That's the one thing that I've seen throughout is if you are not mentally healthy, and speaking of which, I was I was thinking about this too, because before you go on you know, a multi-continent trip like this, you have to get all these vaccines and they have, there's different types of malaria going on in different types of countries. And I can't remember the name of the, one of the malaria medications. Um, it very well could be, what's, what's the one that everybody's thinking is Trump is thinking cures? Oh, I can't, uh, I can never. Hydro, hydroquinoin or something. Yeah, hydrochloric. Yeah. yeah, I can't say it because there's one that's like uh, a woman died because she took the the fish food or something like that. And that's not the one you, you should hydrochloric. I don't take it, whatever it is, but don't take the fish food. <laughs> yeah, this woman, well, Trump said it. No, she, she just saw part of it, but there is oh, a, no. there's some kind of fish thing that you put in the tank that kills stuff. That's not what they're talking about. They're talking about this other thing. And, and uh, yeah, so read the labels, but go see your doctor first. Just don't go take it. <laughs> yeah. Well, when a, one of the malaria medications literally puts people into psychosis. So, I mean, we had moments where, you know, you're traveling and you meet other travelers and you kind of get like your little covert and you run into people. It's this, actually, it's a weird subculture of people who do this and you get on a circuit of traveling and you'll run into them in other countries. It's bizarre. Wow. Um, but uh, we knew people that just lost their minds in bank, like specifically in Bangkok is like one of the stops where you start taking your malaria medication. But here's the other thing too, is if you do this, do your research because you have to take a series of shots for Japanese encephalitis and like hepatitis A, B to Z. Like there's so many diseases out there. Um, and I'm not a big inoculation person, but there's stuff in other countries that's like, you die. Yeah. <laughs> you Like polio is a big deal. Like, uh, but malaria. So we were, I think we were in Thailand. I get sick and then I go back to Thailand, see the doctors, and then we go back out again. Um, but one of the doctors was like, I would never put my family on that medication. And the only reason the doctors in the UK where I was living at the time told us to do it is so if they, if I caught malaria, I couldn't go back and sue them. Oh, they had, they had followed protocol, but they were like, this is not good for your body. This is, I would never do this. So that's the other thing is talk to the local doctors they they're they're running under a different system. They're not running under the fear of being sued. <laughs> it's it's and the, their knowledge of the local area and the illnesses is a hundred percent more than what we have in the United States or in the UK. That that's important because there's no way any doctor in this country, and um, when I say this country, because this podcast is heard around the world in the United States, there's no way any doctor, I don't care how trained you are, could know every disease and how to treat every disease no. in the world. It's just impossible because there are. You mentioned there's a lot of diseases out there. There are diseases we have no clue are even out there because oh, yeah. a human being, either a human being that lives in one of these African tribes, has gotten it, or we we haven't discovered it. But there's a lot of stuff out there. That's one of the things that really makes me cock my head like a dog when you make a high-pitched sound because like, oh, COVID-19 is like, that's not the only thing out there that can kill you. I mean, right, right. if you think that COVID-19 is the worst it's gonna ever going to get, you're you're insane because there are diseases out there like Ebola. It's still a yeah. big thing. Like oh, yeah, they're having in, an uh, outbreak right now. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, 
I think you have to do your due diligence, but you got to remember we're human beings. We're not robots. We can get stuff that can kill us. You know, COVID 19s killed a lot of people. The flu kills people every year. The Ebola disease kills people every year. And I, I heard, I watched a story once a couple of weeks ago. I think it might have been a Nova, one of those PBS shows I really like. And they said the safest place to work is the, um, the, the I think is the CDC where they have all the infectious diseases. Because they're all you get in all these suits and stuff like that, and you're actually uh, touching Ebola. And they said it's never been safer because they have all the antibodies right there. So if you oh. get Ebola, they got the medicine right there. I'm like, eh, no, I'm not going to go near that place. <laughs> yeah, no interest whatsoever going there for a tour. But I do have another co- uh, question for you. What are some countries you haven't been to that you'd like to visit sometime in the future? Oh, I really want to go to Israel big time, and I want to be able to spend copious amounts of time there, which I'm sure like you could live a lifetime and not get everything you need from that place. Um, And I want to go to Iceland is another place. And then recently I love to fish. um, So I want to go to Patagonia. Um, Apparently they have, I don't know if you remember as kids, people used to catch huge rainbow trout their only uh, Fontanales is like the, the name of rainbow trout, but yeah, the Fontanales in Patagonia, it's one of the few places in the world that hasn't been overfished and those like massive rainbow trouts can wow. still be caught um, on the rivers there. So that's, that's exciting. I'm not, you know, South America, I've been to Costa Rica. I've been to Mexico. Um, I just don't have that. That area of the world is not, I don't have a draw. A lot of people, that's their first places to go. I love Japan. Oh my gosh. I want to go and spend the rest of my life there. (laughs) Have you ever, (laughs) have you ever heard of Meritus? Yes. I I didn't know what that place was until I read Robin Sharma's book, The 5 a.m. Club, which I'm now a proud member. I get up every day at 5 a.m. And the story takes part in Meritus. Now, I'm one of these geeks. When I'm reading a book and it says, yeah, the Lion of Meritus, I put the book down and go Google it because I want to know. And apparently it's a beautiful island. I want to say it's off of Africa near Madagascar. I could be yep, wrong. because I, I think so. Um, but I hear it's absolutely stunningly beautiful. I'd like to go visit there, especially because I haven't heard of it before February 4th of this year. I'd also like to go um, to uh, Abu Dhabi and the United mm-hmm. Arab Emirates. I had a guest on my show not too long ago that apparently over there, they can't do video calls. So she had to go to Paris for business. Then we did our interview and, and I said, is it safe? For Americans over there, she goes, it is safe and it is absolutely gorgeous. It's hot, but it's gorgeous. And, you know, of course, they have all the oil and they have all the luxury. And she goes, indoor parks, indoor water parks, indoor uh, ski slopes. I mean, they have tons of wealth. But I just look at the pictures of that seven-star hotel and the Palm Island. And, you know, I want to travel international, but I will tell you, I'm a chicken. I've only been to what I, as I told you before we started recording, I used to live in Rochester, New York, back in the early 90s and 80s and 70s, where you could literally walk across the Rainbow Bridge and go to Canada. So we used to jokingly call it the United States of Canada. No offense to my Canadian listeners. So the only (laughs) real country I've ever been to is France. And it's like, it was one of the last nonstop flights from Houston to Paris, Charles de Gaulle. And I remember when I got off the plane, thank goodness my wife remembered her three years of French over there uh, from high school because over in France, and I'd like to know your thoughts in other countries, they're very proud of their culture and they're very proud of their language. And they expect you 
and I don't think this is out of out of you know this is not crazy to at least try speak a little French, learn how to say bonjour, merci, au revoir, say things like that because they are so proud of their cultures. Some cultures, some countries have gone. I've heard, uh, never gone to. Obviously, they don't eh, speak English, Spanish. We don't care, but uh, French really are really proud of their culture. And have you found that when you went gone to other countries? Well, I I know that when we went to France and went to Paris. My husband speaks fluent French. My husband. Oh, that's cheating. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they hated it. They didn't, what? they wouldn't, they wouldn't speak. They'd immediately start speaking English to him. Really? Like, they, you were, yeah, especially Paris. Paris is, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Paris. Like they've got some good museums, but Parisians, I'm going to make blanket statement. I have not had good experience with Parisians. <laughs> Well, I will tell you, like I told you earlier, we went to Normandy, France, and I think if I, I think it's the same in Tokyo, Shanghai, Paris, you know, London. You get out the big cities, mm-hmm. then you really get to ex- express the culture. And it sounds like not express, experience the culture. I'm sure that you'd agree that that the bigger cities are a lot different than the smaller towns. Yeah, you know, the only place, yeah, for sure. I feel like once you've seen a big city, it's like, meh, except for Tokyo, really. Tokyo is a beast in and of itself. It's the most bizarre old world, new world collision. It's incredible. People are incredibly respectful and quiet and organized. And in the train stations, this is, I'm a total foodie. In the train stations is where you're going to find some of the best food. It was bizarre. The train stations are kind of like the hub for the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So you get out and gorgeous like spreads of like unbelievable food as you're leaving the train station and i'm like what like i i mean i spent tons of time in london and new york and i'm like this is not normal Norm- normally it's like the grossest part of the city <laughs> oh my gosh i literally ate my way through tokyo it was am- amazing <laughs> i would ha- i'd happily live there and i am not a city person wow count count me in on tokyo that's that's saying a lot, and you know and now you got me itching for Japan. Uh, you know I've got this weird thing going on because my wife, she's one of these people that takes new to new languages like a duck takes to water. I'm struggling. I, I was trying to learn Spanish. Now I went back to French. Um, I tried to learn Mandarin because I thought Mandarin was really cool to learn. Oh my <laughs> goodness! When you can barely speak English. Don't try to speak uh, anything that requires characters. At least I have a half a shot with Spanish and French because they use the same characters. I tried to learn Hebrew. No. I tried to learn Chinese. No. I looked at Jap- Japanese. It loaded up on Duolingo. I, d- I got out of the program. I mean, you need to get, you know, start. I'm fascinated by new languages, but you need to start with a simple language. And there's some government agency here in the United States that says if you speak English, they have groupings, okay? Learn these languages, and the further you get away from it, um, from the from English, it's the more difficult. So obviously, your French, your German, your Spanish, those are most like the English language. So it's most it's easier for us to learn. You start getting into like Arabic or Chinese or Japanese or um, the what do they speak? Um, Vietnamese. I mean, Vietnamese is wicked hard. It is yeah. because it's not only is it a different language, but now they're using different characters and and like Russian. Russian has their different alphabet. So I would love to be like. Tim Ferriss teaches how you can learn language real quickly. Um, I, I, I struggle with learning new languages. Do you speak any other languages besides English? No. How easy been, for you? 
How easy is it for you to learn a new language? Uh extremely difficult. Okay. Like, so you're it's you're just, like me then. Okay. It's just, I don't even, honestly, this is going to sound so arrogant and horrible and whatever. I don't even try. <laughs> like I'll learn a few words and, you know, I try and be respectful. And one of the things I was going to tell people, if you struggle with language, or I think, I think it's actually a good idea. Anyways, if you go to Africa or, you know, any of those remote countries like the Congo or Uganda or something like that. Everybody speaks English, but the further you get out from the cities, I have this book, it's called Point It. And I actually picked it up at a, like an art museum, like 20, obviously 20 years ago. I still have it. It's just about the size of a wallet. And somebody has gone through and laid out like in one picture, there's like every single type of fruit you could ever imagine oh. in one, in one small photo. And then it's like any kind of like toiletries you could ever need. In oh, I've seen photo. a book like that before. Yeah. Yeah. It's brilliant. And then they have like the different animals and they have like medical things. And you could like ask for, you know, if you needed to point to a hospital or to a toilet or to whatever. It is the best icebreaker. Cigarettes. I don't smoke. Cigarettes and this point it book will like m- make you the best friend in the- <laughs> Like, cause I, my whole, my whole deal is I was photographing. So I tried to get photographs of people and that's like, people don't like to be photographed. So I just sit with them and give them cigarettes and we just sit and we'd look at the book. And then like after half an hour, I, you know, I'd be, I'd let them take a picture of me and then I take a picture of them and that's how I get my photographs. Nice. C- cigarettes are like the best. Oh, you know, I was going to, speaking of this, I wanted to tell people, so this is another one of my tricks. And everybody thinks I'm like totally type A, but I'll tell you what, I've never had any, I've always been safe because of this. Um, I sew pockets into my clothing. So I have pockets in my bra and in the front of my underwear and in my pant legs. And inside of those, I put US dollars. And what you do is when you go out traveling, you've got your little belt, like your little nerdy, I'm traveling. I've got like, it's so, it's so nerdy. Um, if you get robbed, that's the first thing they're going to ask for. Maybe out of your pockets, what you have in your pockets. Then they know because you're, you're wearing your, like, um, I'm a zookeeper, like tourist outfit. Mm-hmm. Um, don't do that. Don't buy the zip off jean, like pants. Don't do any of that. Wear local clothing if you can. Um, they have you empty your pockets in your bottom of your shoe and everything like that. And you have money in all these other places. Ah, okay. So they're like, what do you have in your pockets? You take it out. What do you have here? You take it out. And they're like, okay, what else do you have? And you can pull money out of your shoe. And then they're like, of course, they're not going to have it anywhere else. That has saved my backside numerous times. (laughs) Wow. And everybody's like, you're crazy. And I'm like, (laughs) not so much. Not so much. No, it's hard, hard lessons learned here. Yeah. So. Wow. Well, Emily, this has been a very delightful conversation with you. We could probably talk for six hours about your trip. And uh, (laughs) I'm going to say it now. I'm going to probably have to have you back because we could probably have part two of this, uh, this conversation (laughs) because I'm just, I I want to travel the world and I was fascinated. I was on the edge of my seat and I know my listeners are like, this is incredible. So I'm probably going to invite you back a third time. You'll be the first guest that probably be on for For three (laughs) Uh, because I think that you're, you know, I think we've only scratched the surface 
service of traveling. Yeah, I've got a lot, I've I would got like, a lot more stuff. <laughs> I would like to know more about your traveling. So I, would you come back again? I Absolutely. Okay. Totally. We'll, we'll set that up again. And uh, before we go, where can we find out more about you online? How to Raise a Maverick is my website. If you Google any of that, and if you Google my name, Emily Goudreau, this is a long last name, but G-A-U-D-R-E-A-U. How to Raise a Maverick is easier to remember. But that's uh, you'll land on my website, and um, you'll find out about my courses, about teaching parents how to keep their kids safe, and the conversations around pornography, yeah, and all the other stuff I do. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being a delightful guest. We'll get you that link and you can get back on my schedule because we'll have Emily, well, the third interview, but part two of her travel, uh, because I, I'm really interested in travel. So I really want to have you back. And it's called the Mark Stuchowski podcast. So I can have guests back as many times as I want because I'm the boss. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for being in the show, Emily. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And just before we go, don't forget to head on over to my website, mrproductivity.com, M-I-S-T-E-R, mrproductivity.com, and get my top five productivity tips for absolutely free. Hey, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the show. It would mean the world to me and it'll help other people find the show so I can help them as well. And if you want to take it to the next level, tell two or three of your friends about the show so I can help them too. Until we meet again, my friend, you know what to do. Go be productive.